I see data all the time that talks about this. Again, as demand marketers are getting more precise about how they think about prioritizing and segmenting their accounts, they're getting access to those tools where ABMers are, are finding a way to solve that riddle of getting more scale. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey guys, it's a new week and we are back with a new episode of the B2BMX podcast. So welcome. We're keeping the ABM train rolling with another replay from B2BMX in Scottsdale. And this one was presented by Forrester analyst Bob Peterson. ABM is so hot and we just wrapped up our next level ABM event. So I thought it was only fitting to replay Bob's session from Scottsdale. So Forrester has been really forecasting that the respective paths of demand and ABM would ultimately collide or even intersect, right? Demand marketers are continuing to improve the precision of their efforts, and ABM marketers are seeking to deliver these personalized experience to more contacts and high-value accounts. So all of this is really coming together nicely. And in fact, Forrester Research shows that this convergence is accelerating and presents B2B marketers with both challenges and opportunities to capitalize on the shifting marketplace. So in this session, Bob is going to share new data and insights on the key trends demand and ABM marketers must consider to prepare for this convergence. And yeah, in this episode, you'll learn about the current trends driving the push to this convergence of demand and ABM. You'll learn the impact of this convergence on systems and resources, and even how to leverage this market shift to improve efficiencies and optimize performance. So check it out right now. We've got it rolling in three, two, one. You're going to hear this from everybody. It is weird. It's weird being up here after doing this for 20-some years. Uh, I'm a little rusty, so please bear with me. Um, but as, as I was preparing for today's discussion, which I've entitled Better Together, uh, and it's all about the one of the major trends were that we're following at Forrester, and we've been thinking about this for three years. Anybody who was at our Serious Decisions Forrester Summit back in 2019 would have seen uh, Matt Senator and Steve Casey and I do a presentation on the future of ABM, where we introduced this idea that ABM was, don't throw anything at me, but was going to actually go away as a term, because the essence of ABM, the, the DNA of ABM, is going to be absorbed into broader demand. And we made a bold prediction back then that by 2024, I think, that ABM will just be part of what we do in demand. Last year at our summit, Steve Casey and I did a presentation that gave an update on that, trying to hold ourselves accountable about, are we seeing progress to that end, about the convergence of demand in ABM? And you're going to be seeing, any of you who are coming to our summit in Austin in two months will see some new data that shows that this is truly accelerating. Convergence is real, it's happening. So what I thought I'd share today is, well, I wanted to start with a, an opening analogy, if you will, just for a moment to, to talk about why we think these things are coming together. Um, I'm sure everybody likes music. There are many different genres. I happen to like blues and rock and roll, amongst others. But 
I thought this was an apt way to start this discussion. You're probably wondering, why do we have Muddy Waters and Keith, no, it's not Keith Jagger, Mick, Mick Jagger up on the screen here? What are they doing up sharing the slide? You know, one being an icon of blues and one being an icon of rock and roll. And I thought, you know, this is actually a pretty appropriate way to start our discussion today. Because when you think about it, that while there's lots of different things um, that go into the, each of these genres that are different, there's actually more that they share in common. And anybody who plays guitar, I'm an amateur guitar player, I'm awful, but I do play. And you'll understand that the, the chords, rhythms, even the nature of the songs are very similar between the blues and rock and roll. And actually, you think that you know, blues musicians, rock and roll musicians can easily jam impromptu because they share a lot of that common infrastructure, if you will. Like you see these two gentlemen not too long ago, easy, easy for them to get up on stage and jam. And that's what we're really talking about here. How do demand and account-based marketers jam together and how do they find ways of looking at commonalities as opposed to distinctions? So what I wanted to start with, some of you may have seen this from, from us before, but this is our, our way we're thinking about where convergence is coming from. Uh, again, you may have seen this. This is, uh, I'm going to show you this master model that we're using. It's called the demand spectrum. And it's a model that we've put into market about two years now. And it's one that has been, as an analyst, I'll tell you, it's one that is rather simple, but it, it's incredibly powerful to help marketing leaders establish what the requirements are for each of their different routes to market and making sure they're aligned with sales. And from my view, it has to start with this left pyramid. This, like, how is sales organized? How do they go to market? And most sales organizations that I work with over my last 10 years at Forrester, they, they have some type of relative value pyramid like you see on the left here. That's what I call it. It's like sales is wired to think this way, right? That there are certain accounts that are, are more strategic than others. They might be called majors, they might be called key accounts, uh, probably different in your organization. But whatever they're called, everyone seems to understand these lighthouse accounts are gonna get different treatment from sales and marketing. They're oftentimes existing accounts that you're trying to retain and grow, but they're always at the top of the pyramid. Sales usually then thinks, well, wait a minute, We've got the next tier that maybe, maybe we're going to market in a territory or a regional approach where each account executive may have 30, 40, 50 accounts that they quote unquote own in their patch. And that can add up to hundreds of accounts typically. Then there might be certain industries that your company is strategically trying to pursue. Healthcare, financial services, public sector, you know the ones. And then there could be accounts that while you know, they could buy from your company, are not as strategic relative to the others. That doesn't mean they're not important. They're just, they're not as strategic as the others. So while sales has thought that way for a long time, we've found that marketers have not typically applied that same type of thinking. And so we suggest that marketing have an approach that's similarly structured, a relative value pyramid, where you're applying a one-to-one -one large ABM approach to those strategic accounts. Makes sense. You've got a scalable one to few approach for the next tier. You've got vertical marketing uh, to the industries you're supporting and then best in class demand marketing. All makes sense. Perfect world, these two pyramids come together. There's perfect alignment between sales and marketing. Everything's working great. So our, our opinion of this, however, is that those four marketing approaches, and you'll see them mapped in the middle of this slide. You can see demand marketing in the lower left working our way up to the uh, upper right. 
We're not suggesting that lower left bad, upper right good. I want to be clear about that. Most marketers that I work with have all of these in play. But what I think companies don't spend enough time on is thinking about what are the requirements of each of these. Because you can't just say, I'm going to do large ABM because my CMO told me I'm going to do large ABM. There has to be a reason and you have to be able to do it with a straight face. If you look at the outside of the slide, that's the, the three legs of the stool that give our requirements in terms of capabilities you need to do with these. Starting with insights at the bottom and it builds from left to right, it's a spectrum, right? So you're seeing in the far left it says, Firmographic information, that's this rudimentary information that you know about your contacts within your buying groups, within your high value accounts. Moving all the way to the right where you're picking in intent data, maybe sales has a detailed comprehensive account plan. The second axis is collaboration and that speaks to the collaboration, collaborative nature that sales and marketing need to have to support that. The frequency by which they engage and the shared processes. Are they getting together at annual kickoff where your chief revenue officer gets up and says, this is our go-to-market strategy for sales this year. Let me introduce you to the CMO and she's going to talk to you about how marketing is organized and then they talk again next year. That does happen, believe it or not. Or you can see frequency increases as you go up to quarterly, you know, QBRs, monthly, weekly, even real time. And then the top axis talks about content and customization. Are you leveraging largely off-the-shelf content? Are you building new content to meet the needs of those uh, verticals that you've identified as being strategic? Are you trying to solve one of the big riddles in our space now, personalization at scale? Or are you building customized one-to-one -one workflows? And these axes each align to each of these four approaches. So if you're doing large ABM, my view is the price of entry from sales is a an account plan. And sales has to commit to meeting with marketing on a regular cadence, maybe weekly. And marketing has to likewise commit, we're going to look at your account plan and we're going to build insight-driven, highly customized deliverables. But that's not true if you go down to demand marketing. It's significantly different. So that model, I think, has been really interesting for, again, CMOs to help establish what their strategy is. What we're seeing in the point of my conversation today is we're on a collision course here. We see demand marketers are getting much, much more uh, ability to deliver precision. They're getting more uh, skills, better at account selection and prioritization, better at gathering insights, better at leveraging tools that were once the purview of account-based marketers. Likewise, and concurrently, we'll see account-based marketers getting pressure from, well, their leadership and their sales team saying, I get this ABM thing, but why can't you do it to more accounts? which is a great problem to have, I think. But the, that's why we think these two forces are going to converge. I sometimes say collide, but I guess that sounds negative. But they are definitely coming together, and we think that's really what the future is all about. Okay, um, anybody who was at B2B and Max in Boston um, this summer, last past summer, saw this particular slide. It comes from our 2020 state of ABM survey, and we're, we've been tracking this. Again, we think this is something that is real. And you can see here, when you look at the, the way the data is organized, where the, uh, the green is current state, the blue represents the desired future state. So again, green current, blue desired future state. And we asked, uh, I think there were 324 global respondents to this survey. 
marketing leaders, and we asked, so do you think that demand and ABM share that common DNA? People, processes, technology. And you can see how many, if you look at the right half of the slide, that say they are broadly aligned, sharing lots of people, processes, and tools, and those that say they are completely the same thing. They are fully aligned. That number is pretty staggering, and that's moved significantly since we started this initiative back in 2019. Uh, I'll tell you this, uh, I shouldn't do this. Uh, at a current conference, I shouldn't be promoting our future conference, but we are going to be sharing our 2020 version of this. All I'll tell you is it is accelerating at a much faster clip. Those numbers on the right-hand side of this are moving faster than, frankly, we even anticipated. So I think that's pretty compelling evidence that the market wants this, we see this. I do have one, actually a couple of slides from our 2020 uh, survey, excuse me, 2022 survey that we just completed in the last two weeks. So you might see some typos here, forgive me. But we asked, and I, I looked at the raw data to say, okay, why do you think this is real? What are you trying to do? And this was heavily skewed to CMOs. It's all B2B, but there were a lot of CMOs in this study. And I thought some of these were really interesting. You know, demand motions exist in a continuum, not silos. Uh, greater alignment and scale. We have a hybrid approach where demand and ABM are really the same type of thing. I think these are really interesting and they support our contention that that's what we're seeing in the, in the market and that's why we think this convergence is really happening. Okay, um, let's pause for a moment. Now that I'm showing you a little bit of the future, um, I, I can't help it, I'm a student of history and I like looking backwards in order to look forward. I don't know who was the uh, philosopher, that Santiana, who said those who don't remember the past are condemned to forget, uh, repeat it or something like that. But this won't be that dire, but I, I thought this might be interesting to set the tone to where we're going, what convergence is going to look like based upon where we came from. And just a couple of reminders about why companies have been investing in this ABM thing anyway. Um, this is from 2020. And it's interesting from our perspective, this, this was done right at the beginning of the, the pandemic. And it's the first time uh, that we've been doing this survey that we really saw the move to protecting the base, which I think is kind of a natural reaction in B2B. Whenever there's some type of big event, whether it's a major market shift or recession or a pandemic, we tend to withdraw, I think, and protect our customers more. I just think that's a, a reflex that we do as B2B leaders. And that's what we're seeing here, that most companies are invest, investing in an account-based approach because they want to take care of their most valuable customers first and foremost, grow them via more strategic cross-sell and upsell. But the second is, let's go after some key net new greenfield accounts. So I don't know if there's anything that surprises anybody there, but that's why we see companies investing in this whole account-based world. How are they measuring the impact? Um, this is something as an analyst, it probably won't surprise you. I spend most of my time talking about this topic with clients, like what does my ABM dashboard need to look like? What are the metrics that are important to me? How do I reflect what's different about ABM relative to my demand metrics? But I would guess any of you doing ABM are probably using these type of metrics or, or incorporating things like engagement or win rates or average deal size increase. Um, some of the other ones I think are even more compelling, you know, the, the efficacy of forecasted deals in ABM accounts relative to non-ABM accounts. Do they have a greater likelihood of being more real? And I think they are. One quick 
trip down memory lane, and okay, full disclosure, I was an ABM back in 2020. Were you guys, anybody alive? 2020, do you remember that? That was 22 years ago, I'm that old. But I, I was doing ABM before it was cool. And the, the tools that I used, and I come out of ERP, and that's where we, I think a lot of ERP companies, tech companies, were the first adopters of this. But my toolkit as an ABMer back in 2020 was kind of limited, right? I mean, it was, and any of you who are old enough to remember this, it probably had a similar toolkit. We didn't have much technology, if at all. We were doing block but we were doing it in a way that was impactful. It made a big difference. You can see here, like, events that were not just random events, but they were really well-orchestrated events. Things like not just direct mail, but dimensional direct mail. I can't tell you how many goofy things I sent to high-level executives to try to break through. But it, some of it worked, some didn't. Uh, red carpet events at, at your annual conference, I think those are the typical types of things we did back in the day. So let's move forward a decade to 2010. Many of you may have started your ABM journey back in 20, the 2010s. <clears throat> you can see here that some of those original offline deliverables are supplemented by some of the emerging tech that we talk about, right? Remember building microsites for your high-value ABM accounts? That was life-changing, right? At least it was for us. Uh, personalization, digital marketing, intent monitoring and personalization, those are all part of what happened in this decade. When we move into the 2020s, this is where things get really interesting, and this is where we think convergence is really becoming a thing. So we'll see more and more technology here, what we call omnichannel at scale. The rise of the first real ABM platform, at least per our definition, that not one-off solutions, but Solutions that incorporate all the different elements of this. Personalization at scale. Understanding how to think about a buying group and do that mapping, etc. So the world has changed a lot, at least during my lifetime, and thank you for taking that trip down memory lane with me. <laughs> um, one more slide. This is the last slide from... Um, this is 2020 data. So this... Uh, 2022 data, excuse me. This is hot off the press from our recent survey, and... It's interesting because I wanted to close this part of my discussion around what we're seeing in, in terms of a couple of key areas. First of all, the shift of the, the relative maturity shift here, where we're starting to see where, where I mentioned that uh, ABM used to be the purview of large companies, software companies, tech companies. When I started, it was. Now we're seeing that a lot of smaller companies are embracing this account-based idea. It's the true democratic democratization of ABM, right? And that's, as an analyst, that's something that 10 years ago, I remember getting really nervous when I saw a really small company sign up to say, I want to do ABM. And I found that they really struggled with it because they didn't have a lot of the tech, they didn't have the people, they didn't have the data oftentimes. And we typically could tell that some of these smaller firms were struggling with it. But I think this data now is showing ABM is becoming a strategy for everybody, of every company, of every industry. Secondly here, we always look at maturity, and we look at number of companies that are piloting ABM, those that have been uh, doing ABM for less than two years and two years plus. And we've actually seen 
the relative maturity has swung down, but the reason for that is because we've seen a lot of those smaller companies embracing ABM, so the data is kind of skewed a little bit more that way, where more companies are getting one toe in the water. The last one I'd suspect you might be interested in, and it's budget. This is something every client asks us about, like how much budget do I need for ABM? What's the typical budget? And this is the first year that we saw a relative flat result of that ABM budget. And this is not including headcount, by the way. But when we looked at 2019 to 2020, this was a marked jump to the 600K figure. I think it was 350 in 2019 to 600. And now we saw a relative flattening out of that. To be honest, I wasn't originally going to share this because I'm not, I hope you don't ask me a question about it because I'm not sure yet. I haven't had a chance to look at the data enough to understand this. But I don't know if it's, if it's a result of the pandemic. You know, people are not investing in some of the more expensive <clears throat> excuse me, elements of ABM, like events. And maybe that's flattening out the budget. I'm not sure. Um, in two months, we'll probably be able to answer that question a bit more. OK, let's spend the, the last 10 minutes we've got on how to think about what convergence looks like. We've talked about that demand spectrum that showed how those distinct approaches were, are now moving to each other. We shared some data on why companies are, are investing in this account-based idea and how are they going to get that type of value across all of their accounts. Let's talk about that. And the way we think about that is through th three different categories that we think are important for all companies to think about if you feel like this convergence idea is real within your organization. I'm going to talk about Process, people, and infrastructure, or tech. And let's look at each one of those and give you some ideas to how you can think about what this would look like. And the way I put this together is when you think about those core processes, and remember that one of the first slides I showed that had the raw answers from survey respondents, the CMOs saying what they were looking to do, breaking down the silos, right? Getting more of an agile team development to get more value. Think of that when you look through these slides. And what I'm showing here are three areas in this case of process that I think are really important. Orchestration, content, and measurement. And I'd ask you to think about the first column is kind of the past or the current state. What we think that future converged state is going to look like and what some of the benefits are that you'd want to consider and why you'd want to drive this through your organization. When you look at orchestration, I think Currently, what I see a lot of companies struggling with is it's this whole idea when it comes to prioritizing and selecting accounts. It's an absolute rigid approach where if they do any type of formal discussion of which accounts are going to be in which bucket, they'll do it once and maybe never do it again. And the consequence is, you know, you have accounts that are, are selected for ABM treatment and they're, they're there forever, you know, once once you're in that category, it's never revisited. Maybe it's revisited annually, but it's not enough. And that's why we think the future is going to be a much more dynamic approach to this that helps you avoid some of those misfires. Second, on content, another key problem that I see every day is folks think about demand and ABM as very separate things, <clears throat> and they think about the content that fuels that initiative as in a distinct bucket. And you can imagine the wasted content and efforts there and redundancy that happens here. And we're encouraging clients to think more of 
the piece parts so you can have more modularity to this and get more mileage from those hard-won assets. And third, measurement, another area. You heard me talk about measurement earlier, probably the most popular topic. And the idea that you've got demand metrics and you've got ABM metrics. And oftentimes it, it forces an, a leader to have a hard time having a conversation when you've got apples and oranges, where if you can think about applying multiple lenses to those same metrics, you're much, uh, in a much better position to be able to have an informed conversation with your leaders about what this looks like from a performance benchmarking across all of your routes to market. Okay, so that's some of the key process areas that we encourage you to think about. The next is people, which I think is equally important. In this case, I'm going to talk about skills, competency, competencies, and org design. Again, using that same current state or past, future, and benefit. I think this one is, is really interesting. <clears throat> I can't say it's as popular as measurement or dashboarding, but it is something that a lot of clients are asking about as they build you know, centers of excellence. Where are these mythical ABMers? How do I find more of them, right? And I think about from a skills perspective, too often times we've had folks who are pigeonholed into a certain area. You're an event marketer, you're a digital marketer, and that's where you'll stay. And I think that's not helpful to think about this converged world. The idea of the, the, the agile approach is going to really pay dividends here as you think about having a very nimble team who can pivot to support all those different areas and contribute much quicker. Similarly, you know, it's related to skills, competencies, again, to that idea that you are hired as this particular thing, and the job description says that's what you do, and you follow that script. That does not allow you to really grow your career, grow your capabilities and competencies. I also think that one of the benefits as a recovering ABMer, the idea of getting exposure to other skill sets beyond marketing. Like I remember taking sales methodology training, going in with my sales leaders and being shoulder to shoulder with them in a week-long sales process training. And they're wondering, what the hell are you doing here? You're in marketing. But they quickly realized, maybe that's not a bad thing, that I understand the way they put a plan together. And maybe it's okay that I get up and do the goofy presentations with them in training to try to understand how to do this. Um, I, I'm so surprised I don't see more marketers doing that. I think it's a great way to build credibility, by the way. And I also think the benefit of that is you think about your own career, how cool it is that you have this broader skill set where you're not just, again, an ABM or an event marketer or a digital marketer, but you're getting trained on uh, data analytics and you're becoming much more tied to understand the revenue contribution. We think that's one of the great new roles, by the way, is embedding the analytics capability in all demand and ABMers. Final element of org design is one that I've oftentimes seen companies where they'll have a demand center of excellence or just a demand center within their organization. And then ABM comes along and they build an ABM center of excellence, which makes a lot of sense. And I see a lot of progressive clients I'm working with building those ABM centers of excellence, which I think is good. It establishes permanence, gives more credibility and durability for the effort. But I think in the future, as these two things come together, it's the whole idea of a unified center of excellence. Again, taking the value, distilling the value of an ABM center of excellence and what that historically did and what a demand center historically did in bringing it together to something new. A unified center of excellence that allows 
the marketing team to be tied closer to the revenue, have greater alignment with revenue operations within your company or marketing ops, that's the value. Marketing gets a bigger tep, uh, step at the table, I think, here. Okay, let's talk about the last one, infrastructure, tech, which is another area companies are spending a lot of time on. And again, using the same uh, current state, future state, and benefit architecture here, and I'm gonna be talking about omnichannel, intelligent, and dynamic. I've, I've talked to a number of clients here over the conference this week, and a lot of vendors about this too, where um, on the omni-channel, we've seen folks invest in these distinct one-offs, point solutions, and they find that these things are very disconnected and they don't have a way to connect them together or to their other core platforms, and it is a constant source of frustration. In the future, being able to look at a more reasonable way to connect those, uh, we talk about them being uh, connected, controlled, and coordinated so that you'll be able to think better about getting more value from those investments across not just leads, but thinking about the buying group and how to leverage that omni-channel approach to better understand all the complexities that are happening within the buying group. Intelligent is related to that. Um, data is the bugaboo of many folks trying to do any type of account-based marketing, right? And uh, clients always say that the hallways of their organizations are littered with the bodies of people who have tried to fix the database, right? It's just not very glamorous, um, and it's never done. But that's, that's a big part of this, too, where those disconnected silos of data are not going to be helpful. Um, we think that you know, th this unified area of having data um, orchestrated in a way that is truly helpful across sales, marketing, and product organizations is going to help you move from, talk about engagement to enablement, meeting your buyers in your buying groups um, where they are, because each of them is different. Data that we've been seeing from our buyer insight study, by the way, shows that the average number of interactions a buyer in a buying group in a B2B buying decision went from 17 to 27 in one year, last year, from 17 to 27 for each contact in a buying group. You imagine how complex that is and how important it is that our systems are organized in a way to help us manage that and help you avoid those random acts of marketing understanding where each of those contacts is. And that brings up the last one, the idea of uh, the dynamic world where uh, one thing that drives me a little crazy whenever I'm talking with clients, and again, it's well-intended, but people put together these very rigid, linear buyer's journey frameworks. This is the way I want that conversation to go with your buyers. They're going to go along here, they're going to consume this content, they're going to go to this website, maybe this microsite, this landing page, and then I'm going to feed them this. That's about you, right? And that's not sustainable. The future will be more about understanding each of those buyers, where they are, what they want to consume, and how to optimize that journey for every contact within your buying groups. Okay. So before I wrap, um, I hope I've made a case that these things are converging. We think they are. Uh, I, I see data all the time that talks about this. Again, as demand marketers are getting more precise about how they think about prioritizing and segmenting their accounts, they're getting access to those tools where ABMers are, are finding a way to solve that riddle of getting more scale. Increasing resources, getting more ABMers to support this, these two things are, de are definitely coming together. And again, if you want to see more data on this, come to our summit in, in Austin, and uh, you'll see some fresh data that, that makes this even more compelling. 
And I'll leave you with this. Um, I always feel like we have to do a crawl, walk, run approach um, because I know sometimes some of these ideas can feel a little overwhelming. But you can start thinking about this now to help you embrace this idea of convergence. And think of define as being the, the crawl, right? Think about where I started today with that, those two pyramids and understand where marketing can be more strategic. And think about your capabilities. Do you have the ability to, to meet each of those needs that your sellers are asking you for? On the apply side, that demand spectrum, I think, really gives you a tool to think about where you are, where you're strong, and where your blind spots might be. And then on Accelerate, this is the time for you to think about what the future is going to look like. I started out today talking about 2024 is when we really think convergence is going to be done, not done, it's never done, but this is really going to be a thing. And you won't hear us talking a lot about ABM as a thing, I guarantee you that. Because, and that's not saying the idea of ABM is going away. We're not saying that at all, I wanna be clear. We're saying the goodness of ABM is absorbed into all demand channels and the goodness of demand is absorbed into what ABM's doing. This is your chance to start being a leader within your organization, getting your sales organization and your executives understanding we need to get ahead of this convergence thing and stop thinking about silos. All right, thank you very much and uh, great to see you. Alrighty, that is a wrap on Bob and the Forrester analysts always deliver awesome sessions at our events and it's truly great to be able to learn from them every year. And I personally look forward to seeing how this convergence will impact the future of B2B marketing. So it's always a good time and never a dull moment here in this industry, right? So. That's a wrap on today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any new episodes dropping on your podcast player of choice. Check us out on Twitter and LinkedIn. Share your feedback. Say hi. Let us know who else you want to hear from and all that fun stuff. And yeah, I will catch you all next week. Thanks again, everyone. Take care. <laughs>